to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am welcoming my friend and colleague, Heather McPherson. Um, She is the CEO and founder of the Sexual Health Alliance, as well as owner of a group practice uh, called ReSpark, which specializes in sexuality and relationships. She's published in so many things from Playboy to Playboy Online, has been featured in CNN, and a whole long list of things. Heather has lectured at prestigious universities, including the University of Texas at Austin, Texas State University, and Governor State University in Chicago, and she's also an ASECT certified sex therapist, licensed marriage and family therapist, and a licensed professional counselor supervisor. Uh, she is also the Texas section leader for ASECT, which is the American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and I was recently on her podcast podcast, which is a new podcast that's out called Practice Outside the Lines. Welcome. Yes, thank you. That was a fabulous intro. (laughs) Tell me, I mean, I know what the Sexual Health Alliance is, but um, tell our listeners about about the Sexual Health Alliance, because I would love for them to check it out, especially people who listen to Sluts and Scholars, because they probably will be interested. Well, Nicoletta, it is the best certification program in the world. She's not biased. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Um, We pride ourselves on being super fucking progressive. Ooh, I can cuss, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Super fucking progressive and radical. And we provide certification programs for sex therapists, educators, counselors, coaches, uh, and then also highly specialized certification programs for CNM, consensual non-monogamy. We're working on a couple other ones coming out soon. So basically programs for folks who want to get into some kind of sex related mental health industry. Yes. And, you know, the reason why we started sex, uh, Sexual Health Alliance back in 2015 was because most therapists and healthcare providers, including doctors, get little to no education in sexual health or sexuality. So you have lots of, you know, OBGYNs, urologists, gynecologists, couples therapists, therapists. yeah, couples yeah. therapists who sees lots of couples or individual therapists that haven't had even one hour on how to talk about sex. Uh, so it was my mission to provide, you know, not only just training, but like the highest quality of training, bringing in the superstars like yourself <laughs> and to teach. Yeah. And, you know, pre-COVID we were in eight cities, so we were local. Um, now we're a hundred percent online. So we have students from all over the world, which is really cool. Uh, and yeah, it's been great. What would you say have been some of the most like popular 
topics or maybe the most needed topics that people are coming to the sexual health lands to get more information on? Oh my God. I feel like there's so many. Every We kind of have every conference be a specific topic or a specific prisoner that pushes the boundaries of the field. And, um, you know, our very, very first lecture in 2015 was, uh, porn with Dr. David Lay, and we've continued to have him back talking about modern sexuality. We've had uh, Dr. What made you decide for that to be the first one? Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually met Dr. David Lay um, at an ASA conference and he's, last summer. He's been on the podcast, so go back and check his podcast out uh, with Floods and Scholars about um, challenging the myth of sex addiction. Exactly. Yeah, I had the privilege of meeting him in 2015, becoming good friends with him, and uh, we decided we really want to bring you know, not only his work, but all of the, you know, rising stars of our field that are at the leading edge to um, Austin first to uh, have them present and share their knowledge. And so we just kind of expanded from there. We started with this exceptional lecture series and we expanded into um, full-on certification programs at the direction of Dr. Chris Donahue. Uh, he runs Loveline. He took over for Dr. Drew. He's amazing too, super progressive and radical as well. And he's taught about everything from somatic sexuality to rebel love, you know, lots of different things, sex outside the lines. Um, we've had prisoners talk about racism and porn, which has been really cool and such a needed topic. Uh, we have kink for the professional with Midori, which Midori is a badass. If you don't know her, she's, she's a prodome. Prodom? Is that how you say it? <laughs> prodom, yeah. And, and has uh, some great classes uh, in terms of like, Getting, gaining confidence, but also some amazing like rope instruction oh, yeah. for she people who are interested to, in that. Yeah, she taught me how to. I went to the ASA conferences. She taught me how to tie on a dildo using scarves. It was pretty badass. That is a much needed skill. <laughs> it totally is. You only have a dildo. You have a bunch of scarves. Boom! You can peg someone. <laughs> Dang. I know. I need right? to see that. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know if I know how to I'll do that. I'll send you a video of it, Nicoletta. <laughs> for private use, yeah. or is this for listeners? Uh, okay. I mean, you know. <laughs> Okay, private use. <laughs> Got it. Well, you use you use a lot of these words like radical, rebel, edge, yeah. outside the lines. What do you consider? I guess, radical or rebellious or outside the lines? Or is it just the topic of sex? Well, for some, it definitely is just the topic of sex. But we want to definitely push the boundaries and go further than that. Um, I think that, you know, our field and uh, therapists and, you know, doctors too, but specifically psychologists as well are very conservative. We're, you know, our field is relatively young. And so there's, it, it's, it's very much guided by the board and bylaws and ethics. And um, it's changing, which is wonderful. But I think for so long, uh, it wasn't acceptable to kind of go there, quote unquote. And, uh, and to be able to have these conversations, not only with your other colleagues, but um, specifically with your patients and clients is such a needed, important thing to be doing. So I think that, you know, talking about sex in general, obviously progressive, but I think that there's some, you know, topics that are maybe in the mainstream are very acceptable, like sex addiction, that phrase. Uh, and, you know, in, in our field specifically, uh, that's a, a phrase that's rejected, not only by ASECT, but also by Sexual Health Alliance. And uh, we reframe it because uh, the treatment protocol, it can be very harming. Yeah, and 
have you had any pushback from like the general therapy community for any of the teachings or things that you're, you know, helping folks with or any of these topics? Oh yeah. I remember when I started so long ago, you know, not only was it kind of a radical thing to have, you know, back when brochures and pamphlets were a thing in a waiting room, um, you know, you, you, definitely it was a little bit different to have that in a waiting room with other therapists. And so, you know, stuff would get taken down or taken out because they don't want the other clients to see that, you know, maybe you have a sex therapist in the office. Um, but I, I also think I remember a time that was really, um, that really sticks out of my mind uh, when, you know, I started Shaw and I was in Austin. I'm in Denver now, but I was back in Austin. And um, <laughs> one of the therapists that I was officing with uh, said, that she overheard one of her friends saying, did you go to that sex lecture? <laughs> like whispering. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome, which is pretty progressive. Um, it, it's, you know, the very democratic city and we're still whispering about this. I mean, this was six years ago. Things have changed. When I first started, uh, you know, training and becoming a sex therapist over a decade ago. And I want to say even eight years ago, there were only like two people that did sex therapy in Austin. And now there's like, I want to say hundreds, um, whether or not they have training or not. <laughs> there's a lot that say they're sex positive or, you know, they practice sex therapy. And so we just want to be able to provide affordable, progressive, high quality education so that they, you know, know what they're doing with clients and don't potentially harm them. Oh, say more about that. Who are these folks who call themselves those things, but aren't practicing maybe in a positive, helpful way? Yeah. You know, I think that in our field, a lot of people will say um, they're sex positive because they've had a lot of sex. <laughs> and so that's how they rationalize it. Uh, I've also heard people say that their kink are poly friendly because they have friends that are poly or kinky. <laughs> and, and to us, you know, especially being in the field and sexual health alliance, it's not enough. It's great that you have friends that are kind of doing these things. But do you, are you up to date on the current research? Have you gotten trained by the experts that really are at the front edge of kink and non-monogamy? You need to look for somebody who is not just friendly to these topics, but who is informed. Exactly. Um, and so asking them, well, what, what kind of training have you had on this? And it's not, you know, questioning somebody. It's just to make sure like, hey, do you cover this? And then you as a practitioner need to be honest about what's out of your wheelhouse. Exactly. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean you can't be helpful for clients that are kinky and are mm -hmm. non-monogamous if you haven't had training, but to be able to be honest and say, you know, I don't have this isn't my specialization. I'm definitely friendly to it, but you know, you may have to teach me more about um how this shows up in your life or what this means. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's so interesting. There's, um, there's a couple of people that have said this phrase and it just kind of blows my mind and baffles me. Um, they say every therapist is a sex therapist, um, which, you know, especially after we just talked about is just mind blowing because I mean, I wish this was true. It would be, I mean, obviously I like it that there is a specialization for us because it's nice for us, but like, I get a lot of clients coming to me because they haven't been able to talk to their general therapist yeah. about sex. Yeah. Um, and so they're coming to me for adjunct work because they can't talk to their therapist about anything sex related. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, unfortunately, it kind of even goes a step 
further where we get clients that have gone to other therapists and they said, there's something wrong with you. (laughs) You know, you're broken because of A, B, and C. And there's a whole wide list of things that, you know, could be quote unquote broken with them. And I think that that shows that, you know, we are human as therapists. We have our own biases, our own um, beliefs that we come into the field with. And, you know, graduate school hopefully does a good job in terms of educating you about general therapy principles, techniques, guidelines. Well, I think the key word there is general. Most of the stuff I learned was after graduating my program Mm -hmm. and really getting real life experience with clients. Exactly. Yeah. And so unfortunately, you know, if you haven't gone through a SAR, which is sexual attitude uh, reassessment, or gone through sex therapy training, you unknowingly have a lot of biases and a lot of judgments. And sometimes they just pop up, you know, just by the, the the expression you have on your face when someone is telling you in session something shocking. And unfortunately, that can really harm a client. Is there anything that you've been shocked by in session? <laughs> um... Uh, no, I mean, I think maybe in the beginning of my career, um, not shocked, but like, oh, that's really interesting. I got to go learn more about that, you know? Um, so more, more intrigue and yeah, curiosity. Yeah, and I think, you know, that actually brings up a really good point too, is that, you know, oftentimes young therapists will get the client to educate them about a specific um, practice, whether it's a kink or, you know, type of relationship or, you know, just type of sex that they're having. You know, we mentioned pegging earlier in this, the show. Um, and that can be really difficult too, because then you're, you're kind of wasting the time in session and the client's having to educate the therapist on what's going on. Um, and I think oftentimes, <clears throat> you know, the therapist might show too much intrigue and too much interest, like, oh, tell me more, give me more dirt, <laughs> you know? Mm. And that also can be really harmful because it, it kind of feels like the client's being put on the spotlight and it's not really therapy at that point. It's just like kind of fascination and what your client's doing that day or with that particular partner. Right. Yeah, I definitely think there's a, a fine line between that because I, I do think it's important for each, you know, each individual person just because they're part of some community. It doesn't mean they are a representative of that whole community. Mm-hmm. So even for folks like Heather and myself, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I will use the training I have to inform me, but I still want to know like someone's unique intersected experience and what that looks like for them. Mm -hmm. But that's a lot different than being like, I need you to tell me the basics of sex work or like, oh, was it so cool when you got to like, do this in this way and like being having it be like salacious. Exactly. Yeah, I think it all it really all comes down to intention, right? Is your intention to get more dirt or to really understand your client's perspective in their world? Mm. So I know that you're doing a lot of like, directing directing type work now and maybe seeing less like you know clients um just because you're doing so much Mm -hmm. with sexual health alliance and all of that but what are some main issues that you think are showing up for for sex therapists these days or in your practice yeah yeah so with respark therapy we have offices in colorado and texas and there's 15 therapists and because i do respark and sexual health alliance and all of these other um you know business ventures i'm i'm uh, a part of which are really exciting i keep my caseload really small um so i see maybe 15 12 to 15 clients a week and that's it plus you know asex supervision and and different things like that state licensure supervision um so you know i 
have the privilege of being able to take on specific clients and my clients are generally either kinky or non-monogamous or they're dealing with something specific to the relationship. Typically, the most of the issues that come into our group practice are, you know, quote unquote, desire discrepancy, right? So one partner. Okay, let's, wants, let's stop yeah. and talk about a little bit of each one. So how do you define like desire discrepancy? So one partner wants sex more than the other or less sex so more than the other. Every, every partnership that exists, you mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, you know, when it becomes a problem or an issue, they come into therapy and, you know, sometimes it can feel like life and death, you know, or the end of the relationship if, if something doesn't change. And so, yeah, I think that it is something every single couple encounters, you know, I mean, that's life, right? We wish that, you know, our partner could be ready whenever we want them to be. Uh, but I think that uh, when it becomes an issue, you know, when there's really, you know, low sex or, um, or there's pressure or anxiety associated with it, then it's time to, okay, let's talk about it. Let's figure out what's going on, figure out, you know, what kind of treatment options are available for them. And um, a lot of time it can be just psychoeducational based. Yeah. So this podcast, as you know, from listening to the intro is not therapy or a replacement for therapy. And um, I would love to, for us to kind of help our listeners know like what therapy on that topic might look like. Mm -hmm. Um, so of course, you know, therapy isn't a one size fits all. There are definitely things that each individual person needs. But when I first hear anything sex related, usually, and I'd love to hear your approach. Um, so the listeners and hopefully folks looking for therapy can maybe get some insight. But the first thing I'll usually be looking for is, is there any physical or medical stuff going on. Yep. And that could be anything from a person struggling with hormone imbalances to pain that's happening during sex um, to back pain, like anything that could potentially be getting in the way physically. Exactly. And for me, I want to like rule that in or out first. Bingo. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I think that that's um, <laughs> such an easy thing to rule out first before you move on to some of the other issues that could be at hand. Uh, because yeah, there there can be a lot of physical medical issues going on. Just down to, you know, taking an antidepressant <laughs> medication can really affect your libido and in the amount or type of sex you're having. Yeah. And then what would you say would be maybe the next thing for a general couple coming in for desired discrepancy? Yeah. I mean, I always like to take a sexual history. Um, and, you know, sometimes that could span, you know, two or three sessions, but typically that reveals basically the lack of sex education, right? Um, not with all couples, but a lot of couples. It reveals um, kind of the messages that we got when we were a kid from our parents, from religious institutions, from our friends. Even still now from social media, from exactly. videos, like for desired discrepancy, I would say it would be the expectation of how often healthy couples are supposed mm -hmm. to be having sex yep. and what sex means. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So taking a sexual history really helps us dive into their history, right? Their background, the previous relationships they've had, maybe any trauma they've had in the past with those relationships or outside of those relationships and really helps us kind of zero in on some of the, um, some of the things that could be contributing to this issue now. Yeah. What are some other things you think you might cover with a, this kind of topic? I think that with couples that, are having this issue, a lot of times they just don't know how to talk about it, you know, um, how to initiate sex, how to 
reject your partner in a way that doesn't just make them fucking depressed. right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, a lot of times we'll do that psychoeducational around like initiation styles um, and also like how to let your partner down easy <laughs> and, um, and, you know, how to like redirect or other ways that you can engage in connection or intimacy that, but that might not be, you know, in, uh, intercourse for heterosexual couples or maybe other types of sex for other types of orientation mixed couples. Yeah. And I would say for that, there are certainly ways that I think are like objectively maybe better to say no, not right now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, exactly. uh, and, um, you know, each person is different. And so I think like Heather was saying, that's the, that's maybe then the opportunity to first have a conversation about it. And in that conversation to ask things like, how do you prefer to hear no? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you prefer to say no? What can we make this no mean? And when do you go about like rescheduling mm -hmm. or, you know, having a next time, AKA, like, how do you prefer to be rejected? And what does rejection mean? But there's a lot of folks who really struggle with like the amount of pressure they put on sex and the rejection can feel like, like it's taking away everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there can be a lot of trauma in the past with how many times you've been rejected. And so you just kind of give up and there's kind of this uh, fear of even going there again. And so, you know, a lot of times we figure out, you know, are there other ways to connect? How do we expand the definition of sex? Um, you know, all the normal things that a sex therapist does, right? And, and so I think that discussing and talking about, you know, maybe you're not in the mood for the whole shebang, right? As I like to call it. Um, but maybe you're you're in the mood for a little bit of shebang, you know, like maybe you can connect in a different way, a different type of sex or a different type of intimacy or touch, or maybe even non-sexual touch like massage, right? There's a lot of different yes. ways we can connect and have pleasure. Let's take a quick pause so you can get these advertiser discounts. Remember, the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast. And I have personally tested all of the people that I am advertising. So I do like their companies and I hope that you do too. Remember, you do not have to leave the house to have fun with yourself or your partner this weekend. And UberLube aka just lube in general, is your best friend. It is the key to maximizing your pleasure, whether alone or with a partner. If you're going to lubricate, you want to make sure it's done with the highest quality body safe ingredients. And in that case, nothing beats Uber Lube. Right now, they're offering Sluts and Scholars listeners a special offer of 10% off and free shipping when you use my code S&S at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use promo code S&S at U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E.com. Com. And it's not just for genital stimulation. It's also great for massages too, and even for frizzy hair like mine. Just make sure you check if it's compatible with the condom or toy that you may want to use. For sensitive folks, it's great as it's unscented with no flavor and has vitamin E and is free from nasty additives like parabens, preservatives, and petrochemicals. Also, it doesn't stain your sheets, so you can put that laundry off for another day or five. Right now, they're offering Sluts and Scholars listeners a special offer of 10% off and free shipping when you use my promo code S and S at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use code S-A-N-D-S -S at U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E.com. 
This episode is also sponsored by Pour Moi, which is French for For Me. The Intensity by Pour Moi is an intimate health exercise and stimulation device. It exercises and tones your pelvic floor muscles and your vagina. Pour Moi is offering listeners 25, uh, excuse me, $25 off of Intensity when you go to pourmoi.com and enter code S&S at checkout. Their device called the Intensity basically teaches folks how to properly perform kegels, and it also has a vibrating component for your pleasure. This product lets you balance feeling good with working hard. Things like the natural process of aging, high-impact exercises, and childbirth can, for some, take a toll on the health of the muscles that surround the vulva and vagina, causing them to lose tone over time. Studies have demonstrated that uh, toning the pelvic floor muscles can increase the power and intensity of vulvar orgasms. So talk to your doctor and see if Pour Moi might be right for you. They are offering our listeners an additional 25% off of intensity when you go to pourmoi.com and enter promo code S&S at checkout. You can use this code along with any other code on their website. That's $25 off on top of all ongoing promotions when you go to P-O-U-R-M-O-I.com and use promo Promo code S and S. Pourmoi.com code S and S. Now back to the episode. I have so many clients who come in avoiding anything touch based because they don't mm-hmm. want it to always have to go to penetration. Exactly. And like having the permission and the space to explore what else can they do instead, they end up having a lot more quote unquote sex because they've expanded the, the definition. Exactly. And one of my favorites is talking about like lazy or tired sex I like to call yes, it I guess yeah and this isn't this isn't to say like in a rapey way that you should force yourself <laughs> to fuck when you're like feeling tired or just like just lay there I mean if that's for you that's fine but I don't mean this in a non-consensual way but like one of my favorite lazy tired ones is like okay I'm not into the whole shebang mm-hmm. as you would call it right now but let's let's masturbate next mm-hmm. to each other yeah Exactly. And sometimes other things will come from that, and sometimes that will be it. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like neither of us have to really move. We get to do what we like. We're not really having to, you know, there's maybe not pressure. And But a lot of couples have never done that before, and that can feel more vulnerable than penetration because it feels (laughs) new. Oh, yeah, because you're slowing everything down. It can be very intimate and very vulnerable. Uh, Showing someone what you actually like. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The faces you make, the sounds you make. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty powerful stuff. Okay. So that's one big topic is the desire discrepancy. Anything else that comes up a lot? Well, it sounds like the other one is just talk, also just talking about it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people come to sex therapy because they have no other space where they've been able to talk about any of this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we specialize in um, kink and non-monogamy too. So we have a lot of those issues present in therapy. Um, and I think that there's, you know, along with kind of, you know, quote unquote desire discrepancy, there can, you know, whenever you do the sexual history, sexual pain or discomfort might come up too. Um, and so it, again, it's a lot of psychoeducational pieces around um, how, how do you engage in foreplay? How do you warm up? And I think you had mentioned just a second ago, um, whenever you're lying together, masturbating, uh, it might lead to other things. And that can be a really good um, reference to maybe someone who has responsive desire where it takes a little bit of time for them to warm up to get to, you know, more intensive sex. (laughs) Uh, and so I think that, uh, kind of easing into it, taking it slow, taking your time, 
uh, can be very anxiety provoking, but also can increase a lot of pleasure because when you anticipate, when you increase anticipation, it also increases the amount of pleasure that you can feel later on in that particular sex session. <laughs> yeah. And I've talked about this in other podcast episodes, but if you're tuning in for the first time, um, how do you define responsive desire? Mm, yeah. Well, so by defining responsive desire, we're also defining spontaneous desire and spontaneous is, um, you know, you look down your cock's erect. If you have a cock, right? it's like, boom, or your, cl- your clits erect, you're what? Yeah. You're <laughs> physically ready to go. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, boom, I'm ready. Look, let's go. Let's have a quickie. Right. Um, that's the easiest way to describe it. And responsive desire is where it takes a little bit of time. You're not sure. Maybe you're ambivalent about having sex. Um, that could be a possibility, or maybe you just take a lot of time to warm up. You need a lot of anticipation, flirting, you're to touch different types of sex before you have penetration. Yeah. Or the dishes have to be done. Right. Um, for a lot of people, you have to maybe notice your physical body becoming aroused mm-hmm. before your mind is like, oh, I forgot I like to do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and do you think that these are things across the board that happen for non-monogamous and kinky couples too? Or do you think non-monogamous and kinky couples don't deal as much with some of this like these topics? Oh, good question. So two things. I think that all couples, no matter who you are, you know, where you're from, what your background is, what your relationship structure or status is, um, have these issues. Uh, I think that, um, the couples that are gauging generally, not always, but generally in kink specifically, but also consensual non-monogamy, they're more educated. They're geeks, right? Especially the kinky ones, right? They are sex geeks. They will read every book you got. They will do their research, which is for good reason, because you can really hurt yourself or hurt someone else if you're engaging in some of those practices. And so uh, typically they have a little bit more knowledge you know, in their back pocket. And so they understand kind of, you know, sexuality in general and all the variants. So it's less about that it doesn't happen. It's more like their response to it might be different because they've maybe already done some work around the uh, the shame or the expectations or the pressure or all the things we're talking about. Exactly. I mean, you, you hope, right? It's, you hope it was someone who's been in, you know, a consensual non-monogamous for many, many years or kinky for many, many years that they've, they've kind of done their due diligence and are practicing, you know, consent and have the language behind it. Uh, I think that... Well, but it's also, I mean, just to normalize, like, if you have been kinky and non-monogamous for a long time and you still suck at that stuff, <laughs> like, maybe something to look into, but it is harder to practice what you preach. No, so, that's like, so true. Thank you. Nicole. I don't know if you feel this, but, like, this is my career, yeah. and even though I know logically... Mm-hmm about desire discrepancy when that's come up for me in relationships i'm like well why is this fucking happening to me mm-hmm. it's very hard <laughs> to actually put it into practice with your own life right and so even if you are a conscious and accept it emotion on an emotional exactly. level there's a logical brain there's the emotional brain and so even if right. you're a sex connoisseur actually putting into practice actually starting to have those conversations with your partner can be much more difficult but i think in general if you have that knowledge if you've done your due diligence and practice communicating about this and learning about negotiation, then you generally have a little bit easier time. Sometimes not, but generally it's a little bit better. I would say one of the main things that partners come into my 
office with are like they'll say general like communication issues mm-hmm. oh yes <laughs> what what do you what can that consist of when you hear oh, we're I'm... having communication issues oh. what, what does that mean that's such an umbrella term and I, mean, I don't know what's bigger than umbrella because umbrella doesn't do it justice right canopy <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a canopy term. totally. <laughs> right. um, and you know, I mean, because I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist as well, you know, communication issues could just mean we fight a lot about a, the dishes, right? It could mean we fight or we have difficulty talking about um, anything from kids to how to run household to where we're going to vacation next or the dreaded where are we going to go out to eat? You know, talk. <laughs> Um, you know, obviously outside of COVID, unless you're going out now, which is cool too. Um, so, you know, that, that could definitely be an issue, but I think in when typically when they're walking in our office as a couples and sex therapists, uh, communication issues mean that anytime sex or money really gets brought up, we can't do it. We can't talk about it. There's fights, there's pain, there's arguments and hurt involved. Yeah. For me, I think the key to that has been doing what I would call like central nervous system, like resourcing. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, it's about these topics that trigger something. And when it triggers something, we're usually then operating in like our fight, flight, or freeze. A lizard brain. <laughs> and yeah, our lizard, our lizard brain. And for folks who don't know what that is, it's like the primitive part of the brain that isn't really set up for empathy, connection, and relationship. Mm-hmm. And so when we go there, it's like, you're not going to fucking get anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, there's no point in continuing the conversation. You need to take some space, take some time, calm down your nervous system, breathe, and then come back to the conversation later. Yeah. Um, probably one of the other most common things that I see, and I talk about this often on the podcast, but I feel like you can never talk about it enough because it's so widespread is keeping things going after being together for a long time. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, my, my practice is named Respark. How to respark your yes. relationship. Okay. Right? How do, how do, how do we respark? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the research says, uh, bringing in novelty, um, or taboo, uh, trying out different things can help. Right. And so sometimes it's as easy as, Uh, talking about your fantasies. You know, that can be a very different experience for a lot of couples. Uh, For other couples, it might be bringing in a new toy or a new person. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess same question. Do you think folks who are in kink and BDSM and non-monogamous have an easier time with keeping things going because of practice around this? Um, I mean, I I think when you look at the population at whole, probably so. Uh, or is it all relative? Then they're like, oh man, we've done, you know, choking enough. Now we need to move on to, I mean, you know, dressing up as T-Rexes. Yeah, there's definitely that. There's definitely like adrenaline junkies, right? High sensation seeking folks um, that keep on needing to up the ante. It's not very much of the population is like that, but there's definitely some people. Uh, I think generally people who... Uh, practice BDSM or kink or non-monogamy have a little bit of easier time keeping the spice alive because they have other things that they can go to. They've expanded, you know, how they have sex and who they have sex with. Even sometimes Um, with kink, obviously you might be um, engaging in kink practices with someone else, but it might be completely non-sexual. So it really just depends on how your relationship structure is set up. 
I don't know if this resonates with you at all, but I think there's also this pressure that you're like supposed to care about keeping things going, (laughs) I guess. And I'm not saying you listeners like shouldn't care and shouldn't strive for that. But I notice that when I take the pressure off that Mm -hmm. like I have to keep things spicy, I'm more okay when it's not happening. Mm hmm. And then it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of expectations that go into all of this, right? And again, we get our messages from the media and porn sometimes. And so we have this expectation that we should be having fireworks sex the rest of our life, which is bullshit, right? I mean, that lazy sex is a thing, you know? And, you know, sometimes they call it maintenance sex. That is a thing. And it's important to realize that there's lots of different sex that you can have with your partner, especially if you're going to stay with them long term. Uh, It's not all going to be fireworks and roses, but sometimes it can be, and we hope it will be for you. Yeah, and what are some ways to, I guess this is different for partnership to partnership, but are there any ways that you found have been most helpful for couples to engage in that fireworks (laughs) experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's bringing a new approach or a new perspective to sex. Um, so whether that means, like you said, that novelty. Yeah. And for some couples, the thought of just talking about it (laughs) brings up severe anxiety and that can be enough to really spark things, right? Respark it. Um, for other couples, it can be talking about fantasies, uh, or, you know, something more, you know, more taboo, right? Bringing in a toy, um, or maybe a fetish in trying that out in the bedroom. Yeah, and I actually I just talked about this recently in a presentation for the Sexual Health Alliance, but it's kind of like finding that that edge that is challenging enough to bring in that newness, mm-hmm. but not so challenging that you get flooded and overwhelmed and then you kind of freeze and it's traumatizing. Yeah, I mean, this is where our basic training as a therapist can really help. And that is uh, meet the client where they're at. Right. And what does that what does that mean? Well, I think that, you know, with a lot of sex therapists, they might go to the extreme rather quickly. (laughs) That can really. Yeah. Like we can be too. We can be too open. Yeah. It can really scare the shit out of some people. Right. Especially if you have a couple that's religious or. Right. Like if you're working with an arranged marriage, religious couple who are just learning how to have like vanilla sex for the first Mm -hmm. time together, I'm probably not going to be like, well, have you tried fisting? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And so meeting the client where they're at is you figure out what are they comfortable with is saying sex out loud hard, which we have a lot of couples where just saying the word sex, just talking about it is really difficult and really anxiety provoking, uncomfortable. And we're taught that we're not supposed to be doing that. And so, you know, a lot of times with some couples, we'll talk around the subject for weeks or months before we really get comfortable with it. How do you stay patient meeting clients where they're at, knowing all the things that you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that that's the practice of therapy, right? Um, You know, staying patient and 
meeting the clients. Slowing down. Uh, Yeah, it's you're slowing down and you're taking yourself out of the equation, right? I mean, sometimes we're so excited as sex therapists to get there. And gosh, if you were really just doing this, you'd be having a great time. Um, But we forget that it's a process to get there. It takes time. There's a lot of education behind it and a lot of um, exploring your own stuff, right? For the clients, clients exploring their own stuff to actually get to the place where they can have pleasurable sex again. Yeah, definitely. And it can be hard not to, not to want to rush. Yeah. And I think um, for me, I can say that sometimes it's hard because I'm feeling the pressure from clients of like, we've been doing it this one way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Please help us. Mm -hmm. Fix us. Fix yeah, fix us, help us, um, make this better. And yeah. you're like, well, I guess I have to pull out my fucking Mary Poppins bag of tricks and like, exactly. how about this? How about this? Yeah. And then it's like, then I'm performing instead mm-hmm. of doing therapy. Yeah, and then you're feeling what the client is feeling that they have to perform. And then again, that is a good news and good perspective for us to kind of go, oh, good insight. You know, yeah. like you're you're really feeling like this is a performative thing. And if you can just get the techniques down, then you'll be good. Well, no, that's not how it works, right? And coming back around to like how to find the right therapist fit for a person, are there any like red flags that you would think of? Um, I don't know for the consumer to find someone who's maybe a good fit or not harmful. I mean, look, this is subjective. It's kind of like dating. You have to find someone that feels right for you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know what you don't know, Mm -hmm. is there anything that stands out as like, Maybe don't choose that person. Yeah. I mean, the easiest thing is to choose um, a Shaw Sexual Health Alliance certified sex therapist or asex sex therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say that. That's the easiest, right? <laughs> no, this isn't, this isn't promotional. It's fine. <laughs> but I think that aside from that... Um, so yeah, find, find a reputable source, do yeah. your homework. <laughs> but I think um, do your due diligence and, and have a call with them and ask them, you know, what kind of sex therapy trainings have you received? Um, you know, how do you work with a client experiencing, you know, what you're experiencing? You can talk about that a little bit. What is your approach? Um, and I think that you're looking for a little bit of that sex positive language uh, and, um, and kind of the resources that they bring that, you know, the personality that they bring, of course, but you're really looking for, um, do they consult with other people? Do they, have they gotten any sex therapy training? Um, have they, uh, done their own work right around sexuality? You know, a lot of people can have a lot of training, but, um, but really have not you know, gotten their own stuff, you know, worked out. Interesting. See, I wonder if that could be a screening. I don't know, because there's a lot of therapists who don't share their personal mm-hmm. stuff because they feel like it crosses a boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does sound like that could be an important question when you're shopping for a therapist is like, if I'm calling you, I'm like, oh, Heather, nice to meet you. Can you tell me about the therapy that you've done for yourself <laughs> so that I know that you're um, practicing what you preach? Exactly. Yeah. Be- <laughs> How many hours of therapy have you done? And uh, what did your therapist say about where you're well, at? And let me say there's, there, you know, you can go to a lot of hours of therapy, but still need some more work too. So, <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, 
lifer. I don't know about oh, you. Of course, life for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think how they, it's not so much, you know, the, con- the content of how they answer the question is really the context of um, how they respond. Right. And so, you know, if a therapist says, Oh, I, you know, therapy three hours a week and, you know, I've worked through all my stuff and, and then they go into disclosing a bunch of stuff. Uh, probably a little bit more difficult, right? If they're disclosing all the stuff to you on just a consult call, then that might be a little bit of a red flag if you're if you're asking for red flags. I think other red flags would be... Well, it sounds like if they've had no training, but they call themselves a sex therapist. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or a sex coach, knowing that anyone can call themselves a sex therapist and a sex coach in most states mm-hmm. because there isn't really a governing body. Yeah. 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 And so I think, you know, asking what was the last training that you went to um, that talked about sex, um, that could be a good question. But yeah, I mean, if, if there's, if there's no training that they can mention or talk about, then that's probably a red flag. And if you're going to them for sex therapy. Yeah. Um, And so what made you decide as we kind of wrap up here, what made you decide to kind of expand and, and start this like practice outside the lines and like podcasts, network stuff yeah. that you're also working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started the the website practice outside the lines.com and the podcast that goes along with it. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to help more people get into this field. I think I alluded to it earlier. Whenever um, I came into this field, there were only two sex therapists in Austin and I couldn't find any information. I couldn't find any training. Um, I felt like there was, you know, just very little resources out there. And so I really want to help people into the field, not only as a sex therapist, but maybe as a coach or as a business owner um, or, you know, podcasting. (laughs) Um, I think that uh, there is so much opportunity in this field. This field is so young. There's so much opportunity. And, you know, although sometimes it can feel like an uphill battle in terms of social media and shadow banning and all of that crazy stuff if you're a sex worker. Um, I think that there's still a lot more acceptance nowadays than there was before, just by noting the amount of people that call themselves sex therapists nowadays, or the amount of businesses out there that focus on sexuality, sexual health and wellness. Um, And so helping people learn about all those different options and learn about the different careers and the different businesses they can have in this field. It's just really exciting to me. I call myself a multi-passionate sexuality entrepreneur because, you know, it's not only sex therapy, it's sex education, um, running certification programs, it's podcasting, it's, um, you know, just a bunch of different areas related to the field that kind of, for me, keeps the spark alive, right? trying something new. Exactly. Yeah. It's just fun to me. I am, I'm, I have an undergrad in business marketing and, um, you know, just entrepreneurship in general is just a fun thing for me to do. So, you know, helping other people get their foot in the door and get started with it. Um, I feel like is a really important thing to give back to the community because again, I know that whenever I entered it, uh, there just wasn't anything out there. And so I really want to help people have an easier time than I did. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing that. How can folks um, follow what you're doing, check out, you know, uh, practice outside the lines, get more information? Where should we send folks to uh, check out your work? Yeah, so uh, respark, R-E-S-P-A-R-K dot co, C-O. 
um, sexualhealthalliance.com. Uh, practice outside. So the first one is if you're looking for therapy. Right. The next one is, is if you're looking for training. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Promote for me, Nicoletta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're, you're good. You're good. You're a good entrepreneur. I need to learn some things from you. <laughs> um, yeah. So Sexual Health Alliance, if you're looking for, you know, if you're a general therapist and just looking to um, be able to assess, you know, whether your client needs more help or just be able to talk about it in general with them. Um, yeah. and, and obviously, you know, healthcare providers too. sexualhealthalliance.com provides trainings and certification programs and then, uh, practice. Yeah. And just some, there are some that are applicable for like the lay person too. You know, if you just want to attend with yourself or with a friend or a partner. Yep, exactly. Yeah. When we were, when we were in person, we had a lot of community members come to the events, which is really cool because I, always was of, of the belief that this information is not proprietary. Um, I want anyone to be able to get it and learn about it because, you know, pleasure shouldn't be something that only sex therapists can know about, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really important to have those community events. We have sex nerd trivia book club for that, for that reason as well. Uh, and then practice outside the is just the newest venture podcast and helping people get into the field of sexuality. Awesome. Heather, I love you. Thank you love for coming. <laughs> Thanks for coming on to the show. And um, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, um, you can find me uh, on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars. And if you're listening in for the first time or have been for a while, um, it's always really helpful if you go leave a review um, or a comment review five wherever stars. you listen to podcasts. Five stars. Um, yes, five stars. <laughs> um, or if you really think, you know, you've got some helpful feedback, um, go for it but it's helpful (laughs) yeah five stars (laughs) check out our advertisers the more you support the advertisers the more you support the podcast so thank you and talk to you all next week